It's Thursday, September 26th, 2019, and you're listening to Last Time on Video Games, the show about retro video games and sometimes some other stuff. You're listening to episode 268. It's time to invade Normandy again. Runtime for this episode is 1 hour 17. Hello and welcome to Last Time on Video Games, the podcast that doesn't joke about World War II. My name is Jeremy. We are answering our call to record this podcast. I'm Tyler. Oh, shit. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. Is that, are you, were you really not paying attention or were you just... I was not paying attention. I couldn't see through my glasses real well. Okay, introduce yourself. My name is Zach. And already, less than 30 seconds maybe into the episode. Zach, do you always wear your class ring? Because I think this might be the first time I've ever noticed it. Funny story. Okay. (laughs) I used to back in high school when I first got it. Then I stopped wearing it. Because you punched that guy. I remember that. Yes, and Zach. Yes, and... (laughs) I, think it was, I was actually trying to think of a time that that might have happened, and I couldn't come up with anything. And I don't think it did. So then <laughs> I found out it didn't fit on my right hand anymore because I'm fat. And then I lost it, and I found it like a month ago. Okay. So I started wearing it because I found it. That's fair. Yeah, I actually don't wear my redding ring anymore because I've got this old man tendonitis, and it like... <laughs> Your redding ring? My redding ring. <laughs> oh, my ring around around. Yeah, I still don't wear it on Saturday, but that's because it's more of an annoyance than it's worth. It's also why I don't wear a watch. For sure. That's Yeah, that's actually a large portion of why I stop wearing my ring all the time is because it's, like, bulky and I kept, like, getting caught on stuff. It's just not very practical. Also, I basically have two wives. So, <laughs> I mean, that feels like you could, according to D&D, you can wear two rings. So it seems That is like... for one on each hand. I'm pretty sure that's how I think that D&D, works. you can wear up to five. It depends on addition. Zach, what have you been playing? <laughs> but can you wear gauntlets while wearing the rings? Well, yeah, you just don't wear answer the, rings. the question, Zach. Just ignore it. Go on. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I've been playing a lot of World of Warships actually, because like I'm still just playing bot games. I just find it a little bit fun. I do wish that there was a system in place for that game where you couldn't fire torpedoes at point blank range. There's supposed to be an arming time there. Yeah, I was to say because you're not supposed to blow up your own ship with them, right? So they're supposed to get a little bit away from the ship. Well, like you they can arm. literally pass someone at very close in distance and fire torpedoes and hit them and have them detonate and do bucket loads of damage because they're really, really powerful. They do play differently, all, all the ship classes. I still haven't gotten a chance to play an aircraft carrier because they're a decently high tier thing and I haven't gotten that far. But you're working your way up. Yeah, I have played destroyers, cruisers, and battleships. Oh my. Destroyers are fast, but their main guns don't do very much damage. The torpedoes do a lot of damage, but they also have very little HP and no armor. So, so they're basically torpedo boats and you just keep them in the back. No, you have you send them out in front and fire torpedoes at people. Point blank. You can say ramming speed, Captain, and then you shoot yeah. And then you ram with torpedoes. Like Zach was just complaining about. Exactly. Cruisers are somewhere in the middle. They're decently fast. They've got decent armor and decent guns. Battleships are really slow, really heavily armored. And it's really interesting to play those because, like, as opposed to the other ones where it's like, I fired and now I can reorient to see where I'm going to hit the targets. And 
you know, you do that kind of on the fly because your guns fire every couple of seconds. Battleships, on the other hand, are like, I fired. Now I got to wait for the splash because they're so far away. And now I got to wait even longer because <laughs> it takes 30 seconds to reload my main battery. But if I hit him, I'll take off half his life. And this is what makes me nostalgic for the age of broadside combat. I guess you're still kind of there, but... Well, yeah, because the battleships, at least, if you get into... Like, they have a much smaller, like, main gun armament when with a number. Because, like, the battleship I have, which is the South Carolina, has four turrets. So if it turns, it can get all four turrets onto somebody, but it takes so long to reload them. But, like, um, most of the destroyers and, and the cruisers and what I have are, like, they have an entire broadside. And I think the destroyers are, like, there's one turret in the... Most of them are one turret in the back and then three in the front. But two of them are offset so they can't see past each other. So, you basically have a broadside. Okay. Well, you know what I meant. Let me rephrase that. This makes me nostalgic for the Age of Sail, which I definitely lived through. Yeah, where you can prepare to repel borders. Because there are borders. Why didn't we ever paradrop... Pe- people onto an enemy ship <laughs> do you want an actual answer to that question kind of. i'm sure there is a very practical reason we because it's hard enough to hit a <laughs> ship with a bomb fair enough <laughs> i feel like also because there's like flak guns that are made to like harass aircraft probably paratroopers would just get shot also you presumably have people on deck right well yeah you shoot down at them while you're landing that's easy to do right <laughs> I'm just sure. thinking, like, Keep yourself that. like, I'm wondering how you coordinate enough people to, like, paratroop onto a ship at once, such that they form, like, not just a group of people who are going to be immediately captured or slaughtered. That's part of it, but the major part, I think, is more along the lines of it's not worth doing because it's already hard enough to hit ships with actual, like, bombs. And at the time, it also, like, we didn't do a lot, if I remember right, we didn't do a lot of paratrooper stuff in the Pacific, which is where most of the naval action was taking place. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, alternative strategy. What if we drop lifelike mannequins and confuse everyone, and then while they're busy shooting at those mannequins, we waste our resources getting the plane to drop them off back to our ship? Or conversely, we just <laughs> drop a big bomb. <laughs> no, I feel like the mannequins are where it's at. What if the mannequins are a bomb you know what they say zach you can't hold ground with air power but with mannequins (laughs) you need you still can't hold ground but you've got a very confused enemy you need boots on the ground and by that i mean literal boots with explosives in them so that's actually a a fun game it's free to play too so it's easy to check out if you have any kind of like even semblance of an interest in the game yeah and i really do and i just keep forgetting that it's an option when i'm like what random game do i want to dick around with well, there's also, like, probably got a pretty big backlog of stuff you want to play. Yeah, I do, but I don't play most of it because I have a bunch of other things. Like, I've got a bunch of Time Waster games that aren't really, like, there's no end to them. And then I have Berseria. So, those are really... <laughs> um, Which I... also has no end to it, as far as I can tell. <laughs> I also played a bunch of Jade Empire this weekend. How is that's it a game holding up by comparison to other... Not bad, although it's it's weird because of the way they, they ended up porting the controller. It doesn't handle as smoothly as it did on the... On the uh, the Exima box? On the Xbox, because of the way they decided to do the camera, your left stick always controls your, like, your character's movement, like, their actual, like, cardinal direction. So, like, if you want to keep moving forward, you have to ro- you have to use the left or the right thumbstick in order to move the camera in the direction you want to move. Otherwise, if you're standing there... Your character will start strafing. That's amazing. 
Also a baffling decision. I don't know why they did it. I'm still enjoying it. It's still a game that I find really fun. It's a game that I had a lot of fun with when I was younger when it came out. So I was playing a bit of that. I played a lot of the assignment this week. And I, I'm still I'm not still not technically a member of my buddy's clan, but I keep playing with them. Which is, <laughs> on you know, Sunday. that's eventually how you become a member, right? And I got their team speak, so now I can even hear them talking bad about me. <laughs> Before it actually goes live onto the dude's channel. So I can hear them talking about me and things that are going on. Is this a is this an improvement over your previous gameplay experience with them? Yeah, I mean it's fine. Okay, I didn't do well on Sunday when I was playing with them, but that had less to do with team speak and more to do with the fact that we played a lot of games with light mechs. I'm not very good in them. Just funny because when I'm playing on the tabletop, I love using light mechs, but I'm not very good in them in the actual like piloting games. They seem objectively underpowered in the real, or I guess the I don't even know what to call them. I guess you call them piloting games. I don't know, heavier mechs just seem, like, clearly superior in not the tabletop. The way they're done in MechWarrior Online, like, good people have can make a lot of use out of them. But uh, there are some vulnerabilities, like, if somebody is running streaks, because if they get a lock, streaks hit. But the skill cap might be higher on lighter mechs. Well, because they're a lot less forgiving, because if you get hit, and this is the same on the tabletop, too, is if you get legged, you are dead. Because your entire, your armor your is entire thing. not getting hit, and if you get hit and you keep getting hit you're going to die <laughs> life lessons if you get hit and then you keep getting hit you will die well i mean it's the same with heavier mechs too but heavier mechs like heavy that, and assault I, mechs they are designed to take a pounding so they have a lot like they're not getting out of the way of fire they're just absorbing it i would just argue that's true of like life if you just continuously get hit you will die <laughs> um <laughs> well i mean life is true you're just going to die like, there's no catch or clarifiers there. You just, life, you will die. Yeah, things do kill you faster, though. Also, that's true of, like, basically any video game. If you keep it getting hit, you will die. Uh, not Superman Returns. Is there at least a penalty? I've never actually played this horrible, horrible game. <laughs> uh, it's not Superman 64, where you will die if you get hit enough, because you're Superman, classically weak to bullets. Superman Return wanted to make you feel like Superman, so Metropolis has a life meter instead of... Okay, Superman, that's interesting. Which is a good idea, but it doesn't like work at all. So, yesterday I was browsing Audible because I have an Audible subscription. Jim Butcher apparently wrote a a Spider-Man book. Did not know that. That does not surprise me. A Spider-Man book. Yes. Okay. I thought about it, but then I'm like, no, not right now. What's it called? Out of I curiosity? don't remember because I want to see how how well reviewed this I is. I just saw Spider Wizard. I just Spider saw right <laughs> Spider Man and Jim Butcher. Jim Butcher's Spider Man, Spider Man: The Darkest Hours. Um, it's actually surprisingly highly rated on like pretty much every platform. So that doesn't maybe worth a read. That doesn't surprise me because like I have yet to actually run into a Jim Butcher book I didn't like. I don't know. I oh, okay. I do always give them. A hard time, but those first couple Dresden files. Yeah, at least the first are, two are not good. But books. they were good enough that I just like I read all of them and then I read more. So. I went to tap out, but Audible was like, "But what if we give you one for free?" Okay, and I was like, "Well, Audible, that is the correct price point." 
Okay, so really quick, just the first couple sentences of this description, because man, it gets wild really fast. The book opens with Peter Parker being forced to be a substitute basketball coach at the high school where he teaches science. Okay, so this is mid-2000 Spider-Man. Still married to Mary Jane. Okay, this is my Spider-Man. Preferably before (laughs) Gwen Stacy's daughter showed up and tried to f*** Spider-Man. Mary Jane is mentioned soon here. Uh, Peter soon finds out that his star basketball player, Samuel, never got vaccines and will be suspended (laughs) for the rest of the season, making it impossible for him to get into a good university. Then he returns home to find that Mary Jane got a part as Lady Macbeth. And also she bought a car despite not knowing how to drive. And then the rhino attacks for some reason. (laughs) This Um, sounds like a (laughs) Spider-Man. Then he punches him out and then he gets attacked by Thanius, Malos, and Morsha. (laughs) And are blaming Spider-Man for the death of their brother. And then also Doctor Strange shows up for some reason. So that's that story. That sounds like some mid-2000s ass (laughs) Spider-Man. Okay. (laughs) It's an entire novel right by Jim Butcher about the Spider-Man, and it sounds actually not bad. I've also been uh, still playing a bunch of that Sniper Elite 3, or Sniper Elite uh, 4, which is another one. I've been playing a lot of World War II games. It's coincidental. Did Sniper Elite affect your choice of the game this week? Or no. was it just purely coincidental? No, I'd actually planned on doing something else, but owing to other people's schedules, I decided to, to pick this game instead. It was mostly coincidental. But, I mean, that one's still fun. Like, I'm not a stealth guy, so, like, I'm constantly getting into the closest thing to a firefight on a lot of them because, you know, if you fire, I think it's two or three shots without the suppressed ammo or firing it while a loud noise is going off near you, they will triangulate your position and find you immediately or know where you are and start shooting at you. Is it always, like, a one-on-one match or are there, like, more than two players you are involved? in Sniper Elite 4? Yeah. It is a single-player game. Oh, I am playing alone, at least. I think you can play with a cooperative partner. Okay. I thought it was a, it had like a competitive online mode where you like sniped another sniper. It might, but the version I'm playing is just the campaign. Gotcha. And although triangulation does not work the way they say it does, because it's just like one dude is like standing there, hears you shoot, is like, he's right there. It's like, that's one data point. (laughs) It's not how that works. But it's it's still a fun game. I, I do enjoy like... Weirdly, I enjoy dealing with tanks because they're kind of a puzzle because you can shoot the driver, gunner, and co-driver through the, like, their vision slits. But you have to do it in the right order so so as to not get messed up. I think you can do it in most orders, but if you hit the driver first, it stops the tank for obvious reasons. But, like, the game is still, I I find it fun. It's a bit of a challenge. My next PlayStation 4 game, once I finish playing that one, eventually... It's probably going to be Darksiders 3 because I got that one for free. I have never played a Darksiders. Darksiders 1 is just Zelda. Yeah, so I heard that one was just Zelda. but It's with, still fun. With a I, different skin. I have played it. It is fun. Um, I have not played Darksiders 2, but Darksiders 3 mainly because it was like PlayStation Plus thing. If you have the Plus account, they're like, here's a free game. They're like, hey, Darksiders 3 for free. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I got an interest in that. And free is a great price point. That's the one where you face the four horsemen, right? War, strife, conflict, and battle? No, it's uh, war, death, fury, and strife. (laughs) So not too far off. The first one was war. The second game was death. And if I remember right, the third game you're playing fury. They're actually like American God style where they just keep reincarnating as updated versions of the same concept. I don't know. 
Apparently, they all exist at the same time. Oh, well, that's lame. You don't see pollution and pestilence at the same time. Come on. I have not played it yet, obviously, but I'm keen to eventually. It's just one of those things that I've got a lot of other stuff I'm currently doing. For sure. Especially Uh, since I'm planning on starting to watch my entire collection in order of anime. And uh, my PlayStation 4 is plugged into the TV that I have my Blu-ray player plugged into. Ah, so so there's limited real estate. Pretty much, yeah. I need another TV so I can plug my Blu-ray player into that. Couldn't you just move one of your devices to the other TV that you do actually own already? But then what would I plug my computer into? Don't you have a computer monitor? It's really crappy. I've seen it. You cannot read it. (laughs) And that's why he has his Discord up on it. You can kind of read it. And it's it's funny because I use my Discord more often through my phone. Even when I'm sitting at my computer, I will read my Discord through my phone. I was thinking about that. I'm like, I could use another TV, but then I was looking around my uh, my space and was like, where would I put it? You could, like, get a big old wall stand and, like, put one on there. I guess not a wall stand, but, like, a big old stand that you could put behind the table. It's all right, Zach. Uh, I may, you know, once a month or so, eBay Legacy Megazords and see if there's one in my price range. And maybe there was one. And maybe I don't have anywhere to put it. So maybe I have a box with a Legacy Megazord in it now. I um, still have but it. nowhere to put it. I have a couple of collectibles coming to my house later this year, and I'm still not sure where I'm going to put them. So I need to, I do have a bookshelf that I haven't built yet from Ikea, mostly because I'm like, where am I going to put this where I will stay up? That's the other thing is I now have two manga box sets that don't fit in my manga shelf. So I'm like, I could buy another bookshelf. Where would I put it? I do kind of want to, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the full box set of Food Wars comes out relatively soon, but I'll probably have to wait a while on that one. Because so I will probably pick that up when it comes out. If one comes out. A lot of times Viz doesn't do it, for except for the super popular series. Like Yu-Gi-Oh! does not have one. It seems weird because both um, Claymore and Rosario Vampire both have box sets. That's true, and so does Bakuman. So, it and might so, get one. And I feel like Food Wars was pretty dang popular. It was, but I don't know how well the manga sold. Okay, that's fair. Especially sold in America. That might be the big kicker, is whether or not it sells well here. Yeah, and I have no idea. What else have you been playing, Zach? You mean Kevin cleared the Pathfinder card game. That's true. That's like a video game. Is I that de- what you guys were up to on Monday night? Yeah, I diplomacied a dragon, and that's how we won. <laughs> <laughs> I diplomacied him twice to death. Yep. It was pretty He's like, well, I guess I'll commit suicide now. Um, I stare into that guy. Other than that, I played a bunch of my phone games, but I think that's... That's largely it. Even having a couple of extra days off this week, I didn't really do very much. I just kind of kicked back and was like, I'm happy. I'm not needed anywhere at the moment. What have you been playing, Tyler? So I had this entire list and you kept mentioning things We're like, oh, that'll make a great segue. And then we just like kept going. Uh, so where to begin? So the Nintendo Direct was yesterday. Man, so many things happened. So many things happened. Uh, so they're like, hey, we have we finally have a release date for Manjo Kazooie and Smash. It's in one hour from now. Just take that, guys. Also, Sans is in Smash. There you go. You're welcome. They're adding Sans to Smash? Uh, he's a Mii Fighter costume, but... Oh. Um, I don't know. The model looks really good. I don't care about Sans that much, and I really liked Undertale, so I don't... It seems like he would make a really good assist trip. Yeah. Yeah, because then you'd have to do some sort of weird platforming thing. I'm kind of sad they didn't go that right now that he so mentioned it. So far, they've only released or even announced one character to Smash that I cared about in the slightest. Joker? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, who's the next one? It's Terry. <laughs> Terry, Terry? Bogart? Yeah, Terry Bogard. Which one? 
What, what do you mean, which Terry Bogart? Yeah, there's only it, one. No, there's Rule 69 Terry Bogart, which oh, is now canon. Oh, I forgot. I really hope that's Rule an 63. old skin now. Um, is, are you being serious? They announced Terry Bogart? Yeah, no, okay. Terry, Terry oh. Bogart for Smash. Um, uh, Buster they, Wolf, I guess. They even might have that as a skin, because that game is on the Switch. Yeah, I'm just his voice acting already incredible. They did like a retro, like old Neo Geo style opening for it, and it's like one of the Smash letters going around, and it goes through like a bunch of SNK series. And one of them is Geese trying to reach for the letter while on top of a tower, and then he fi- he just falls off the tower and dies. <laughs> so the one of the Kingdom Hearts podcasts I listen to, I guess the Kingdom Hearts podcast I listen to, Kingdom Smarts for their um, April Fools episode, they did King of Smarts. And it was a King of Fighters plot recap podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And it was mostly just jokes about how intense the plot of King of Fighters 3 is. So, is Kingdom Smarts the one where they try to get through as much of the plot in a single episode as possible? No, no, that's the one where they have 30 minutes per episode with a hard walk to. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. No, there's another one that they were trying to finish before Kingdom Hearts 3 came out. So, by the end of it, they were going very, very fast. Clearly, Banjo Kazooie in Smash. I played some of that. I should play fun. some of that because I'm excited about that. I did not know he was already out. I figured probably today, actually, but. Yeah, no, they not like during the direct. They're like, he's out later today. Take that. That assholes. seems like the same. That seems like the thing to do lately. Well, it's mostly that like everyone complained about like the hero is going to be out in July. And they're like, never mind. It's this summer sometime. And they just kept pushing it back. And they're like, come on, guys, don't, don't announce it if you're not going to do it. And then they're like. Let's go the opposite direction on this next one, um, which is mildly amusing. Also, Super Nintendo coming to the you have an online on the Switch subscription. Was there anything interesting in that? Breath of Fire? Ooh, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, me and Jim are actually talking about that on the way down here. And apparently, I think I got Link's Awakening and Link to the Past mixed up. Yeah, actually, James did too. Um, because I think Link to the Past is on there because that's yes. the Super Nintendo. Okay. So I did get them mixed up because I was saying that I found it amusing that Link's Awakening was on there and they were just doing a remake of it. But then Jeremy was like, that's a Game Boy game. You're an idiot. And I was like, well, I might have misread it or I'm just an idiot. Yeah, so I haven't been sold on the new Link's Awakening because I like Link's Awakening, but I have a physical card of it. Apparently they change it up a lot. I really like the art style for it, so I might grab it if I'm feeling weak. I felt the same way about Mario Maker 2, though, and I never actually bought it. One of the things that did catch me, and this is maybe very related to Mario Maker, is that the Make a Dungeon. Yeah, the Make a Dungeon thing. That might actually push me over the edge because I actually like the art style for it. I'm like, yeah, but it's a game I already own. And also, then I found out that it was sixty dollars. I'm like, really, guys? This is a Game Boy game. I didn't really? care. Well, yeah, no, that's fair. We also kind of just played it for the podcast, you know, like four years ago. But I don't <laughs> it feels feel like more a, an itch to play it because I did recently. Yeah, no, I was going to say, if I was playing a Game Boy Zelda, I'd probably just play Seasons again. Although, high-quality rip of The Ballad of the Windfish, sign me up for that! That's fair. Let's see here, what else? I uh, started playing Bloodstained, uh, because James is like, here, you like Castlevania, play this. Are you playing actual Bloodstained or the prequel game? They were like, oh, we're sorry, Bloodstained hasn't come out. Please take this Castlevania game we made instead while we try to make Bloodstained come out. I think it's actually Bloodstained. I heard it's really, really good. It's pretty good. I haven't gotten super far, but I've been the first boss, and 
am now wielding a sweet katana because that's very bloods or very Castlevania. The review I heard is like if it's like if Symphony of the Night took as long as it wanted to develop and they just kept packing things into it because they didn't have to release it until they did. Yep, no, that's actually pretty accurate. There's like a crafting system and like similar, I think, to Symphony of the Night or at least one of the games we played in that same vein. Every enemy has a unique spell they can drop. So if you grind an enemy enough, eventually you'll get their spell. Yeah, I think that was Circle of the Moon that uh, had that. I'd believe that. Um, not all the spells are good, for sure, <laughs> but it is it satisfies my inner collectionist. I don't know. It's fairly fun so far. I like it a lot. There are some clever puzzles, and it also very, like, you can spend a lot of time grinding and getting to a high level and getting a bunch of equipment to get yourself some health potions, or you can just be really good at backdashing. Actually, my biggest complaint about this game, huge. it's a huge flaw. You do not move faster by continuously backdashing than you do by running, and this is, I don't understand... Well, what will speedrunners oh. do that when they can't just moonwalk through this entire game like they do with Symphony of the Night? <laughs> I mean, you can moonwalk through the entire game. It's just slower than actual running. And like, come on, guys. Come on. Did he even know what made Symphony of the Night good? So, no, I, I recommend that game. It's fun. Um, what else have I been up to? Some other things. I've been playing Splatoon intermittently again. I, like, picked it up for the final Splatfest. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like this game. And... Either everyone else has gotten worse or I've gotten better by not playing because that's been a thing. I'd guess that most of the really good people are up at like the top, the toppest tier and only actually play each other. That's fair. And so, so it's at, only the dregs that are left. That's probably it because a lot of the people who might have been in the middle range of that might have bailed on it and gone and done something else at this point. They're probably playing Smash, let's be honest. Yep, I mean, that's what I did for a long time. I feel like I was playing uh, some other game on my you Switch. You mentioned Berseria earlier. Yeah, I actually haven't been playing much Berseria. It's it's on my list to get to more of. Um, I know, I feel like I did a lot. I played a lot of board games this weekend, because I went and met Jen's new boyfriend's, his group, um, and we played board games, which was awesome. We played a game called Human Punishment, which is like, I think maybe the best implementation of a werewolf-style hidden identity game ever. Yeah, I'm going to go ever on that one. Yeah, so anyway, we played Human Punishment, which is like a three-faction hidden identity game. So you have statistically, most likely, humans, and then machines, who want to kill all the humans, and then outlaws, who just want themselves and no one else, including other outlaws, to live. The humans have to destroy everyone else. It's a really interesting game, and your faction can change in the middle of the game, so even if you have some... Like, the, the currency of the game is basically your health or your identity, and you can choose to keep your identity hidden at the expense of taking damage. So it's kind of like a give and take of, like, how much damage can I afford to take before I have to reveal this information, which may tip my hand. I don't know. It's a fun game. And every character, like, there are, I don't know, 40 characters or something, and they all have different abilities. Yeah, most of the published werewolf games have that. I know there's a superhero one that's pretty popular. I just, the theming on it seems all wrong to me, personally. <laughs> but then, like, One Night Werewolf, the big werewolf game, has a whole bunch of different special characters. Anything else, Tyler? I started another run of the Lawn Dark now that my computer doesn't freeze all the time. Oh, also, speaking of my computer not freezing all the time, I played a bunch of City of Brass a while back, which is that roguelike Arabian Nights game I think I talked about a while ago. And because my computer wasn't freezing, I was able to get a lot further and like I actually went and beat some bosses. Guys, it's a really fun game. So yeah, that's pretty much all I've been playing. You tell us what you've been playing, Jeremy. So I finished Fire Emblem Three Houses, or at least the Edelgard route. A Edelgard being... Uh, she's Daenerys Targaryen. 
Okay, okay. Especially if you put her on a wyvern, and if you don't, you're playing the game objectively wrong. Eh, I got through it without it. I mean, Zach, it's a very easy game. Your healers start out with the ability to heal people a thousand miles away. Mercedes gets Fortify, which heals everybody in like a 10 square radius to full health, and she can only use it four times a map. My first time, (laughs) I didn't actually have Mercedes, so. Okay, well, playing it wrong. And also, she has the passive that whenever she heals anyone, she heals herself for the same amount. So she's an invincible healer. My first playthrough, I only ended up with Leone, Ignatz, and then I can't remember his name, but he's an archer from the Blue Houses. And then Lysithia is uh, is the only other one I got. Yeah, Lysithia is really good, too. Especially since you can give her the staff that lets her magic from three squares away, and then she's just your sniper wizard. And Bonites are kind of dumb. Bonites are so dumb. I barely had any bow knights, and they're so dumb. I mostly just had uh dumb in a good way or dumb well, in a bad way. They're uh, insane for the game or for you. For I hmm, we, for you. We I talked guess? about they're the Mongols. They that's have, what I thought. They have yeah. a fourteen move uh, plus three bow range, and they can move after attacking. Yeah, those guys. That that's what I thought. Uh, and weapons aren't restricted, so you don't even have to give them bows. And also, there's just a super early bow skill that lets you counter attack units that are one square away with a bow. Which is normally the bow's weakness. But there are no weaknesses in Fire Emblem Three Houses, only strengths. The weakness is you can't recruit Hilda and Edelgard on the same playthrough, no matter what you do. So you can only have one cute axe waifu, no matter how hard you try. Yeah, because Hilda can't be recruited on Edelgard's storyline, and you can't recruit Edelgard out of her, out of her uh, house because she's the leader. So I was pretty disappointed with Three Houses. It was super easy, and the story is, um, feels unfinished and also not good. And Edelgard's story definitely does feel like they like they're like okay, and this happened, and, and the, then there's this other event that's going to yeah. just start, and I'm like, so is that going to be chapter three? They, oh, it's the like, game's over. Hey, we got to kill those people that God smited the town. Now that's fine. We can do that in the epilogue, right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> I didn't super care for that. It makes me wonder if it's going to be one of the things that's attached to DLC that's coming later. It might be. Like the whole story just felt like completely off tempo. The entire time, it was just like, and now we're doing this. And it turns out that Edelgard and Dimitri had this long, tragic backstory together, but neither one wanted to tell you about it, even when you proposed to Edelgard at the end. So I guess maybe if you played Dimitri's story, you'll find out about it, but maybe not. You do. Okay. Is that the house you went to second? Yeah, I'm still still working through that, but I I put that on pause for a little while to play Yu-Gi-Oh. I got you. Like, you find out about that they have a history together at all when he dies and calls her L, and there's an earlier... Support conversation where she's like, call me Elm. No one does anymore. And like, I like it. It's nice. They are cousins. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like Sailor Neptune and Sailor Uranus. No, they're, are actually, <laughs> they're actually, co- they're actually, they're either cousins or they're uh, siblings or like brother and sister. I, okay. can't, I can't remember exactly. It's been a couple of weeks. And Claude is a shonen anime protagonist. So if you go down his route, he's just like, friendship. But we still can't recruit Edelgard and Dimitri. But friendship. I kind of like Claude. Did you leave him alive? No, I didn't know that was an option. Huh. It literally gave me an option to when I, when I beat Claude of let him go or kill him. Oh, no. I just, uh, Edelgard was like, oh, Claude was such a smart guy. His plan works even if he dies. Huh. It's just, sure it, was a smart Claude, that Claude. I wonder, I wonder why I got that option then. Because I, I just, I said, yes, just let him go. Yeah, I wonder too. Because the story would have been much better with more choices. Because it just felt like it, I was walking around. It's like, okay, Edelgard, uh, I guess if you say so. Point me at whoever you want me to murder next. I'm a Super Saiyan God, and I like do 45 <laughs> damage per hit I, and double everyone. So. I do wonder if Edelgard's story ended up being like, 
might have done that one last, which feels weird. Yes, it does, but I could believe it. But, like, because so far as I've been doing Dimitri's story, it feels a little bit more coherent, but I'm not entirely sure. Like I said, it's been a little while. I still really enjoyed the game. I thought it was well worth my 60 bucks because I got my money's back. Yeah, I mean, I just found it disappointing. So I started playing Fire Emblem Conquest, which has been on my backlog for a while, because it was either that or Claude's story, and I have plenty of Shonen anime to watch. Have you owned Conquest for a while and just not played it? Or? Three birthdays? Okay, so it's been a you, bit. You played through Birthright. Has it really yeah. been out that long? I, I think that's about how long it's been out. Yet. Oh, no. That feels like last year. What yeah, happened? Because you played Birthright. I played Birthright and really didn't like it. I like Conquest a lot more than either Birthright or Three Houses so far. I've been kind of depressed, and so every time I lose in Conquest, I don't want to play it anymore. But that is actually what I want out of Fire Emblem games, to lose sometimes and have to restart and be like, oh, but Mozu and Elise made so many good level-ups I just lost. <laughs> I, I let All Might die, which All is Might. a little sad. <laughs> yeah, Elise has a retainer who just oh. is always talking about justice! But he, but he has a negative luck stat, so he kept getting crit. And he was usually the reason I would lose is he would get crit randomly on a 2% chance just about every map. And there was one map where I'm like, you know what? I have Camilla now. I don't need you to have an axe. I have top tier uh, sister waifu axe user. It's fine. She's the toppest tier unit in the game. He is the worst axe user in that game. He's even worse than... uh, Damn, I can't remember her name now. Um, She's the axe user who pretends around rich people that she's all cute and cuddly and then around everybody else she's like i'm going to murder your face with this axe she's she's one of the few units that you recruit that isn't a retainer i just can't remember her name you have my condolences and my axe (laughs) man i wish i could remember her name charlotte i think it might be i know there is a character named yeah i was i know there is a character named charlotte and that is my knowledge of all fire emblem that's it boy the story of conquest is dumb (laughs) (laughs) i can't remember the story of conquest so uh fates you have to choose between your birth family or the family that raised you yes uh and the family that tried to kill you by the way yeah Eh. well no matter what you grow up with your family that raised you your evil dad ganon gives you an evil ganon sword and it's like dear son this is totally trustworthy take this evil sword and go to the border with this criminal for trustworthy activities <laughs> and then the uh bandit starts a war um because that's what he was told to do you kill him you get captured by the hoshiden forces and like actually you're our uh, long lost brother like so we want you to hang out here but it turns out that was the evil king's plan all along and your evil sword is a bomb which blows up your mom who is uh, creating the good barrier around hoshido <laughs> so now nor can properly war uh and then so you're uh your brothers and sisters who genuinely do love you and are like a very caring family, which is the only reason you can possibly justify going back to Nora, show up and be like, hey, we're here to rescue you. And then you have to choose. Do you let them rescue you or, or do you stick with uh, your birth family, the good guys, repelling this evil invasion because their mom blowed up? And if you go back with the Norians, which is what I chose to do, because that's the game Conquest, the better of the two games, 
You go back to your dad. He's like, what? What are you doing here? I sent you to, you must be a spy. I'm going to murder you now. And your brothers are like, ah, no, that's, that's not. It's like, okay, how about I send you on a suicidal mission then? Yes, the dragon god has told me if you complete this suicidal mission on your own, then you can be my son again. Oh, what you did? Well, how about this suicidal mission then? And Jafar is literally be like, I kept keep telling him to kill you. I don't know why he keeps giving you these suicidal missions. You're like, I have to earn father's trust to stop this war. <laughs> I like how Jafar is in the back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot that. Yeah, the, the storyline for siding with Noir doesn't really make a lot of, or with Noir, it's not Noir. With Noir doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, it's of that. Noir. At least your siblings clearly have your back and are constantly like defending you to your father. But well, I mean, just... yes, it's just like from a character standpoint, your character doesn't make any sense why you are still there. Yeah, exactly. Which makes me think that not birthright, not qu- the uh, revelation. Revelations is probably like the actual story for that one. I'm birthright makes sense too. It's a boring ass video game, but the story's fine. I, I need to play more revelations because I've been shut. I stopped because I was in the process of shipping the families. I was going to say, yeah, you got to get Ryoma and Camilla together to make Death Baby. <laughs> That's what I was doing. I'm, like, I'm going to pair the two oldest of each side and the two youngest of each side. They have so much in common. They kind of well, do. Ryoma and Camilla's like all their support conversations are like, we both really love Corin. We don't have a whole lot in common otherwise, but we can agree that we both love Corin. <laughs> the uh, Hinoka, uh, Ra- her name Rainbow is Dash Hino- and <laughs> her name is Hinoka, but like Rainbow Dash works. Rainbow Dash and um, Leo. Leo, I wanted to call him. No, it's not Leo. Um, Xander. Xander, yeah. Um, I was going. I'm not going to pair them together. I don't think. I was going anyway. to call him Siegfried. Uh, I think that's his sword's name. It's either I his sword's it. name or his son's name. I don't remember. Um, but I actually paired them together, and I actually think that's actually a decent couple because most of theirs are like around a supposed surprise party for Hinoka that end up not being a thing. So Xander throws her a surprise party without telling her about it, and she's like, "You threw that, didn't you?" maybe that's another thing i didn't like about three houses they've gotten rid of the s-rank support except for for your main character oh maybe that's the case i because there are a few in um they i don't think they ever exist in edelgard store because i don't remember seeing any of them but in dimitri's story there are s-rank support okay. conversations i don't know if those are spe- specifically for me but i have seen them in that one and so if you haven't played Fire Emblem games, in the Game Boy Advance ones, you could only have a total of five support conversations so that you could only get to A rank with one character because that determined what ending you got if it changed the ending. Uh, so S rank was introduced in the DS games because kids were a thing and S rank was when kids. Um, <laughs> so in this one, just whenever you get to A rank with anyone, suddenly the support conversation is romantic. And they did not change the support conversations for gender because there are not many gay options. For example, you cannot marry Hubert. Not that I would want to, but his A-rank support was by far the most romantic of any of the support (laughs) conversations I had. Also, I'm pretty sure it just chooses when it is giving you the epilogues, the most recent A-rank support you got, because I got some really random couples in there. My, like, I ended up with Hubert and Edelgard. That makes sense. Who did you go with? Uh, Petra. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Really? Okay. I like no accounting for taste. quite a bit. Dorothea ended up with Ferdinand. That's a decent couple. Um, uh, Ferdinand ended up with uh, Mary or Marianne, the blue-haired chick for me. I, I didn't re- have her. I wanted him to get up with Bernadette because I found their A-rank support actually really cute. Bernadetta but- and Leo uh, were paired for me, and it's they both end up as teachers in that case. And like 
Leo's always like falling asleep and she's always hiding in between classes. <laughs> Actually, Bernadetta and Hubert ended up together for me. <laughs> that's yes. That's that, a couple. That's what I thought. Uh, Lysithia and Felix ended up together for me, which is actually really cute, but also was not what I was expecting. And then Lysithia, I don't think ended up with anybody for me because when I recruited her was actually after the time skip. Gotcha. And, like I couldn't actually start support conversations with her because it's like you, you missed the you ones missed in the, school. You missed the chance here. Um, I actually had that happen with what's her name? I had it with Sharima as well. Sharima? Is that her name? Bonite. The assassin chick who's the teacher. Oh, uh, I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember her name at the moment. I had that happen with the headmistress, Bishop lady, whose name I'm drawing a blank on. Uh, Rhea. Rhea on my second playthrough, it was like, you missed your you missed your uh, chance here. And I'm like, really? I almost just married Lolly Goddess because none of the, none of the uh, characters I really felt had chemistry. But Edelgard drew a portrait of me, so that was cute, and I wanted to support I her. Uh, I wanted to make Edelgard happy, so I married her. I apparently didn't get enough support. I think it's by the time I found the support thing, I might have lost the chance to, su- to get the Sothis supports. Well, you don't need... Uh, she shows up as question mark, question mark, question mark, no matter what. You don't have to support with her. She's always an option. Oh, okay. But she's at the bottom of the list, and she's, like, blurred out. Okay, I thought I, I I must have thought that that was just a character I didn't have got that far. Yeah, yeah. I, I was considering it enough that I went and looked up the ending with her uh, because I was curious after I played. And like, she's still in your head. She just shows up. And it's like, hey, I'm back now talking in your head. Oh, you got me a ring. Sweet. I guess you can wear it because our <laughs> souls are already joined. And that's basically marriage, right? That's how that works. Yeah, I, I, when I was looking at it, I had to seriously debate because it's like, I like a bunch of these characters. See, I liked all of them, but didn't really love any of them. I was leaning towards Lysithia, but that you're all of their teacher thing is already a little creepy. So even though the little girl <laughs> is five years older now and it's fine for her to be with anyone, it's still like added, had like that extra level of creep to me. I and I wanted her to end up with Edelgard, but then I took Edelgard, so that couldn't happen anyway. I didn't anyway. get that feeling, but like that's partly just because of the fact that your character is about the same age that's true as all of them like you're yes you are their teacher but you are also the same age as you're they just are from germany and you went to college like two years earlier than everyone else yeah you went to mercenary college yeah, yeah mercenary college and you're a secretly a super saiyan so the pope is like you should be a teacher and then you uh <laughs> then they gain five years on you when you're when you spend five years dead you find five years in a river at least in the storyline i played yeah you spend like five years in the river just kind of hanging out. I've, I've kind of, I'm not entirely sure what it was. I, I've been presuming like your character was five years dead and then just kind of floats back in from is, the river. Is this like a Final Fantasy VII style? Like the river is the life stream or something? No, no it's, just, a it's a river. <laughs> it's the river, the river that runs through the base. monastery. There is. Wait, the monastery you teach at? Yes. Okay. One of the ones that okay. threw me off is to prompt this, the time skip in Edelgard's campaign. It doesn't make a lot of sense because your character's perfectly fine, perfectly fine, perfectly fine, perfectly yeah. fine. And then gets a coma. And then you just like drop off the face of the earth. Where in Dimitri's campaign, because I did pass that part, it actually kind of explains why your character is missing and in a coma. And then reappears five years later because you fell off a cliff in the fight and they show that happen. Like I, I was saying, Edelgard's story feels really unfinished. Which is odd, because it seems like a lot of people were attracted to that one immediately. Well, yeah, and it's, like, I do like Edelgard. I like the, like, the the structure around the story, the ideas in the story, because, quite honestly, the way they structured it with the, I'm going to wreck the establishment, that's usually the bad guy. Yeah. 
But so like I Cynthia like- and Edelgard were tortured by the establishment, and they're good girls, and they deserve to get their revenge. Not just because they're women doesn't mean we shouldn't let them go on a bloody revenge rate. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I know, I know. I, that's, I'm trying to support your point. I, I not, like the... Not contradict you. I like that framework, but you're right, it did feel unfinished, which is unfortunate like, because I do really like a lot of the characters. Don't worry, Hubert was off-screen orchestrating a rebellion the entire time. While, you know, while being in your class. While you were teaching him to lances. <laughs> I taught you to lance. Always remember, if you're playing that game, if you want to get someone to the master class, always default, if you're not sure which one to pick, with lances and writing. Because pretty much everything requires lances and or writing. Uh, the other thing I've been playing, because I've been having a bit of game ADD, is uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Eternal Duel of Soul Duel Links. I might have just threw a bunch of names on there. That I the think one that's, that's the one on the Switch. Switch. But the, also, Eternal Duel of Soul is a Yu-Gi-Oh! game, and Duel Links is a Yu-Gi-Oh! game. So I'm not convinced that's what it's actually called but i well, know are it's you playing the title like that i am playing ref- the switch one. i've been using just referring to it as Yu-Gi-Oh switch yeah because that's the easiest way to do it and it's the only one on the switch right now yes i have a sweet magician I actually, i thought it would be fun for all if we all had it to just play against each other just to see what we could come up with i mean i wouldn't i like me some Yu-Gi-Oh. now and it's that only I've like a 40 dollar game, game. <laughs> you're in the weak spot. i really am yes <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, though. I do like me some sweet Yu-Gi-Oh! Also, Ed is getting a Switch soon, and I know we can make him play that. I have... So you're playing a Magician's deck. Yes. Which is probably better than my Red Eyes deck? I don't know. The best Magician cards, I have to come out of uh, 5Ds, and I've only beaten the Yu-Gi-Oh! story, the classic. So I have to go through 5Ds, get my Arcanite Magician, and then maybe. I do like the way my deck runs. It's pretty much not had any trouble. Are you running at 40 cards, then? Yeah, I run at 40. Is this like full Yu-Gi-Oh, not the yeah. weird Lynx style? Yes. Okay, I'm into that. You get an Azure-Eyes Silver Dragon and a Blue-Eyes Alternative Dragon. I love, <laughs> I love my Red-Eyes Archfiend of Lightning and my Red-Eyes Black Flare Dragon. What's the ritual one? Red-Eyes Matt? No. Lord of Red-Eyes, maybe? Lord of Red-Eyes, I think, is the... I don't have that. I've got oh. a bunch of the ritual card for him, but I don't have that one. Is That's there... one of like the five cards out of the Joey like booster packs I don't have. Are there synchro pendulums? Yes. There are okay. synchro summoning and pendulum summoning and XYZ summoning and link summoning. I don't even know what link summoning is. I don't know what XYZ I know what link summoning is. I don't know what XYZ is. XYZ is, is probably the easiest. You okay. just need two monsters of the same level and often the same type. And then you just bring it from the extra deck and the two monsters you use for the XYZ are attached to the XYZ monster. And usually they have an effect. It's like discard an attached monster to... Do a thing. Yeah, I have okay. an XYZ card in my Red Eyes deck, but I never use it because if my Red Eyes deck is running right, I don't need it. Yeah, same with my magician, my XYZ magicians. Because um, I, I can throw an Endymion and a Dark Magician together to get an Ebony Magician, but I don't usually need to. Yeah, usually, it's just one of those situations where it's like I laid down this card and then I removed my dragon from the game and played my Red Eyes Black Flare Metal Dragon and then used it to summon another Red Eyes Black Flare Dragon. Yeah, I think Red Eyes probably runs better than my Magician deck is running because it just has trouble getting its beat sticks out. And the the Red Eyes deck has, at least the way I've been using it, has like six different cards that just let it go get cards to bring them out and it doesn't matter what level they are. Yeah, so I've had a pretty good Blue Eyes deck that ran on basically bring out other cards that well, I one of One of the cards that the Red Eyes one has is the Legendary Black Egg, which... If you, you play it and then you can activate its effect, it's a 0-0 zero, zero card, omelet. which sends it to the graveyard, but lets you summon a card of up to seven stars from Ooh. your hand or the graveyard, or the, your hand or your deck. 
Woof. So you can for go all your dying. Okay. Yeah, and then you can act later or you can activate it from your graveyard to shuffle a red eyes card back into your deck and you take the red eyes or the legendary egg back into your hand. But you can only do one of those a turn. Still, oof. I feel like seven's getting pretty high and just pulling that out of your the deck. The red eyes cards though are like a lower attack. Like the red eyes black dragons are twenty four hundred attack. Okay. At so seven. But yeah, there's that's an equivalent not blue eyes card. There is a blue stone of legend that is a blue that egg. One works it's not slightly quite strong, different. Because uh, that one has to be sent to the graveyard or something yeah. like that. I can't remember exactly what it does, but I have it and I just don't remember exactly how it works. And then there's Maiden with the eyes of blue that if she's targeted for attack, you can special summon a blue eyes white dragon for your hand deck or discard pile, and that attack is retargeted to the blue eyes white dragon. There's also the Knight of the Blue Eyes White Dragon yeah. or something, which has a similar The ritual effect. one. Yeah. It, that's like, kind of outclassed these days, but yeah, it, it exists as well. There's Kaiba Man. I like you can my, just sacrifice to summon a blue eyes. I like my red eyes <laughs> retro dragon, which can be special summoned if any if a red eyes card you have is sent to the graveyard, and then you can play the red eyes retro dragon and then get that red eyes card out of the graveyard and replay it back in whatever position it was in. I think the red eyes deck is just more consistent than the magician deck I'm running. Probably, I would have to play against you to see. Mine might be a little bit less consistent just because I'm running sixty cards. That's true. Whereas I'm only running 40, but I have a lot more trouble getting out like my Endymion or my Dark Magician. So I just looked this up. What makes the Red Eyes Retro Dragon retro? I have no idea what they call it. He's got clocks on him, I guess. So he's like, maybe I feel like it should be the Retro Red Eyes Chrono Dragon, perhaps. I'm wondering if it's a uh, like weird translation thing, because he's clearly a younger Red Eyes Black Dragon because it's a lower level but there's, and lower stat. But there's literally the Red Eyes Young Dragon. Or the Red-Eyes Baby Dragon. But it's in the middle. It's Red-Eyes Teen Dragon. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of hoping and or expecting to be wearing, like, one of those terrible, like, early 80s, like, white leather jackets or something. Oh, man, I love the Red-Eyes Young, uh, the Red-Eyes Baby Dragon. Oh, you killed my Red-Eyes Baby Dragon? Okay, I will summon it back to the, I will will now summon a card out of my deck up to seven stars. Attach the Red-Eyes Baby Dragon to it as an equip card. (laughs) Kind of run a run a Buster Blader deck just because of all the Buster Blader support I didn't know existed. That's in the Yugi pack with all my spellcasters, like Buster Dragon that turns all your opponent's cards into dragons, and Buster Whelp, which I just like as a name. Uh, you'd probably, if Buster you were to run Whelp. that, you'd probably wreck me because most you're of my dragons. cards are dragons. I mean, the way the deck runs is it turns all of your opponent's cards into dragons anyway. So, although the Red Eyes Burn is a really powerful card. Oh, you sent my guy to the graveyard while well, I'm going to damage you for his full attack. And then because I have these all these cards that get me that card back, I'm going to activate the Red Eyes, Return of Red Eyes, and get him back. So, according to the Yu-Gi-Oh! Wiki, the Japanese name for it is the Red Eye Tracer Dragon, but every other language it's retro, even huh. in German. Huh. Weird. Yeah, it, it is still weird, though, because, like, there are... The, limit, the limited cards are strange, because you can have multiple of like monster reborn or uh, magic cylinders which were always a limited card before i know monster reborn i think is still limited at one but magic cylinder you can have more than one or mirror force you can have more than one neither of them are as strong as they used to be there are just better cards than those now okay. um they're just not as broken all the monsters that you can sacrifice a monster to do damage directly are all banned because there are a ton of shenanigans you can do with those uh return from the different dimension being my favorite flavor of that shenanigan but i really like the red eyes archfiend of lightning Hey, I summoned this dude. Now you don't get any cards on the side of your on the side of the field that have a defense of less than twenty five hundred attack points. Perfect. Because every time you play one, I'll activate my ability and kill it. I just have to murder you first with my Arcanine Magician or whatever. Probably. <laughs> or, or Magical Dimension, my favorite magician card. You're better at 
building decks like that than I am, that's for sure. Except for I just slap magicians together, because I like magicians. Because I get Chocolate Magician Girl, and who doesn't want to run a deck with Chocolate Magician Girl That's in a it? card? Yeah, 1600 attack, you can discard a spellcaster to draw a card. When attacked, you can summon a spellcaster from your discard pile. The attacker gets his attack halved and redirects it to that spellcaster. It's fun. I'm sorry, Chocolate Magician Girl. I'm just looking this up. I don't see what's chocolate about did her. You, uh, I don't know either. Did you start with the fire, like the fire-centric deck? I just ran the uh, the story decks until okay, I got the Yugi pack. I'm, I'm just the, curious because the, like the, what the base deck was, it started with a lot of fire. I was expecting it to start off with what, you, it, what it normally does, which is start you off with a deck that's kind of mediocre and let you build up from it, but it kind of didn't do that. Yeah, it gives you good cards immediately, so... So I don't know why I find this so funny. What, are you going to talk about Apple Magician Girl, Lemon Magician Girl, <laughs> Berry Magician Girl, and do, do they exist? All those, those things. All of those are things. No, the other translations of this are Small Chocolate Mage in Portuguese, <laughs> I which like I that. like pretty well, and uh, the Spanish translation is Little Chocolate Girl. Uh, I'm sorry, Little Chocolate Girl Mage. Um. I'm sorry, that was my bad. Um, the Japanese version is... Oh, so, sorry, I'm trying not to mess this up because it is Japanese attempting to say English words. It is Choco Magician Garu! So we played Call of Duty <laughs> this week because we've been recording for an hour and I think we have things to say about Call of Duty because it's kind of an important game, historically speaking. Probably not as important as Call of Duty 4, but you can see a lot of the DNA in it even early on. It's kind of at, I don't want to say the end, it's right at the midpoint, I think, of the all shooters are World War II shooters storm, because it's after Day of Defeat, it's after Medal of Honor, it's after Battlefield 1942, but it's before most of the sequels to those games. To be fair, Day of Defeat was a mod. Sure, it was, but... In the same vein as Counter-Strike. What was it a mod of? Half-Life. Okay, did not know that. Like Counter-Strike. Yeah, and like Counter-Strike, it was officially adopted by Valve. It just never got as popular as Counter-Strike, which is why it wasn't as big, obviously. So Call of Duty is a first-person shooter, very clearly drawing influence from Halo, but not as much as a lot of other later shooters would. Uh, You still have a health meter, for example, and you still have to pick up health packs to restore that, which does make some of the saves awkward because there are occasionally checkpoints where you'll find yourself with less than full health. And sometimes there are checkpoints where you'll find yourself with less than full health facing away from enemies who are shooting at you. A situation I found myself in three or four times playing this <laughs> game. So every time I respond, I immediately had to hit control to hit the dirt, swivel around sh- shooting Germans. See, I never had that problem. Although I did change my key bindings so that control was crouch and Z was go prone because that's what they that traditionally the most shooters do that these days yeah um, I definitely messed that up a lot because I kept going okay time to crouch oh no I'm on the dirt I never had that the problem that Jeremy is referring to and having awkward um checkpointing checkpointing um, it just I know one of these uh slogans for or not slogans but one of the marketing things for right Call back Duty in the 4, action was it spawns you right back in the action we would joke when we were playing that we'd frequently spawn in the middle of gunfights and die like <laughs> Right back in the action. I really had that feeling in this. Especially, like I said, there were two or three times where I was checkpointed facing away from bad guys who were trying to murder me. Like Jeremy said, you've only got... Well, technically, you have three guns because you have two primaries and then your handgun. But I never really went to the handgun because unlike in Call of Duty 4, which is probably going to come up a lot, 
it isn't faster to switch to it as opposed to the other weapons. So there's almost never any reason to use it. There's not really any reason to use it unless you're going for like some kind of weird challenge run. Yeah, I did melee a lot of people just because I thought it was funny, though, so... It's not particularly good because it's also still pretty slow. It's usually faster to, unless you're either conserving ammo or in the process of reloading. It's usually just as fast to just shoot them. So I have a quick story because this very much colored my early impression of this game. Is it just, So the game opens up with you basically just like parachute landing in, in a place. I, First before, you get your tutorial. Yeah, I want to talk uh, about the boot camp. Because I actually think that's a pretty well done. We've seen a lot of video games. I can think of Hitman and Splinter Cell that have done these sort of boot camp segments. But I actually think Call of Duty does it a lot better than others. Like, it starts with these propaganda posters that are actually good general shooter advice. Like, always be reloading. And, um, like, remember to flank with your team. And, like, actually, yeah, no, I forgot about the boot camp. That's actually a great way to start. Yeah. And then you move, what is it? You move on to first, you do like movement basic tutorials. Movement. Like it teaches you how to crouch and how to. And they're uh, all flavored in the, in the appropriate way. Like you do the whole tradi- or not traditional, but like the stereotypical crawl under barbed wire while people are firing machine guns above you that you see in a lot of like and, war uh, movies. And they're like, hey, those are, are live, live ammo. Rounds. Don't I'm stand like, up. That seems like a waste of live ammo. Uh, yeah, you are led by Captain Stephen Blum for the entire tutorial and the first couple of missions. So Spike Spiegel is telling you about the live ammo flying above you and being like, okay, short private, now you got to blow up these AA guns. I don't have a good Stephen Blum impression. Honestly, the tutorial here was really good. It's not as good as Call of Duty 4s, but this is also kind of their first foray into that. So It's definitely not as good as Call of Duty 4 in any way, but there's a lot more of Call of Duty 4's DNA in it than I was expecting. In particular, the game really, really uh, emphasizes spectacle, which I think is what Tyler is trying to get to, because the first actual level is the Normandy invasion, and you start, like, paratrooping in the long, wrong place, uh, separated from your platoon. There are explosions everywhere. You can't really tell what's going on. You're just going from place to place, and it feels super manic, and it does feel intentional, but it's real hard to tell what's going on. Or even where you're supposed to go, despite the map. Which, I mean, that that is also historically accurate. Yeah, but it doesn't make for a fun video game. Specifically, the not knowing which way to go. There are objective markers on your mini-map, but they're often, like, the opposite of helpful, because a lot of times you have to go through specific buildings, and there's a specific route to your objective. But on the mini-map marker, it only marks as the crow flies, which can make navigating a real pain. Huh, I never had that problem. I was always able to find exactly where I needed to go without any difficulty. I, there was one specifically after the uh, first tank you have to destroy near the Church of Our Lady of Perpetual Explosion, where the marker was on the other side of a gate. I'm like, how do I get to the other side of this gate? And I like walked around the map. It ended up being a very obvious door that I just missed on the first time. So actually where I wanted to start, not with the like the manic setting, but you paratroop in. It isn't, it isn't even the spectacle. I'm walking up. I assume, like, there's no gunfire or anything going on. <laughs> I think I had exactly the same experience. Um, Go on. And I, like, walk up this hill. I'm like, oh, there's a guy just, like, leaning against a tree up here. I wonder if he's friendly. And so I, like, walk up to him. I take out my handgun. I'm like, okay. Well, in case this goes south, I will just get ready to, like, melee him. Because I don't want to alert, like, other enemies in case there are any in the area. I'm not sure how this game works. And I get up to him, and he's like, Stufel picks up his rifle and beats me to death systematically with him. Like, well, guess that answers that question. He was not on my team. I did I not know. have that experience. I didn't have the same experience. <laughs> I did see the guy and be like, hey, is that a friend or a foe? Aims right at his head. like, okay, I think this guy's all right. Stop, started walking, and that's when he decided to shoot me. And I had to go back down the crosshairs to take him out. 
Um, you have a ton of allies with you in this game, which I like. Uh, it, it helps add to that chaotic environment I was talking about, which I do think is intentional. And so I think it's positive for the game. But it can be really hard to tell who's friendly and who's not. They do this thing where if you hover over an ally for a couple seconds, his name will show up. Which Along I, with a color indicating his health. Left. As well as his job. Yeah. Usually I'm not sure if those are kind useful. It tells you what kind of weapon they're carrying, so if they die, you can go get their gun. <laughs> I was going to say, as far as I could tell, all the NPCs were basically equally useless at actually shooting people. Actually, they were, like, in a lot of cases, they actually will kill a lot of a lot more people. If you run into certain areas that where the enemies are set to basically infinite respawn, then it's on you to basically push forward. But most of the time, they're actually pretty useful. I think they're going for a Band of Brothers thing by giving each ally their own individual name. They're trying to make you care about them more. The problem is you're in such a chaotic situation that you're always snapping uh, to them and firing right before their name pops up. It won't let you shoot an ally. It'll stop you from actually firing. Sometimes it won't actually do that, especially if you're far enough away from them. Or if you are already firing like a submachine gun when you bring them into Yeah, I feel like I shot the captain like 30 times just trying to, thinking he was a bad guy when he... When I, like, went around a corner or something. There are certain plot people who cannot die. So there's a scene later where you're, like, driving in a car, and that guy who's... Those two people in the car with you can't die until later where it's maybe a plot death. I didn't get that far. Um, um, as far as I know, neither of those guys die from plot. Okay. Everyone else can die, though. Um, which is actually... Although, generally what happened is we get entrenched in a position, and I'd just be like... Well, screw this and just like run up behind enemy lines and just like a lot of times you can flank down. like the poster at the beginning says. And that's a really good feeling when your allies are like maintaining a line and you see an avenue where you can go to the side and mop them up all up. The game is good at that. But I think sometimes the level design is confusing and they I think prioritize spectacle over good level design in a lot of uh, situations, which is a choice. And I understand why they made it. But I think sometimes it comes at the expense of the game's fun. I will say I only occasionally ever felt lost. I don't think the level design was bad. There were some interesting encounter setups. It wasn't ever stellar, though. I was never like, oh, man, this is a really cool encounter. You I- didn't get to fight on the Tirpitz, which was a pain no, in the I did ass not. of a level. That's in, in the British in section In a good of way or a it's bad It's just a way. pain in the ass. Okay. It's, it's not the worst level, but the checkpointing on it is really awkward because there's a long span of time not- between the checkpoints. And it's got a bunch of staircases so it's just kind of a pain they try to break up what you're doing too like we talked about the car level a lot and i want to get back to that in a second the second major level after you do the full invasion there are a bunch of tanks and you have to grab these rocket launchers to take out the tanks yeah the church of our lady of perpetual explosion yeah so they're definitely like trying to vary it up but i don't feel like the core game is quite dialed in enough it's not that it's bad it's just not as good as Something like a Halo or a Doom. Yeah, it feels and just like... It's the, a little loose. And so it feels like when they're throwing something new at you, you haven't mastered what they've already given you. And, like, the car just feels like this weird gimmick to me. And, like, I do appreciate that they tried it. It would be better than just another level like the previous two. But it never quite feels like it's working or gelling. I think one of the things is the realistic shooter problem of you can't really design different enemies. They're all just guy or tank. I had that exact same thought. There was a, actually on that one level where you uh, spawned or got checkpointed at that door. I was like running through. I'm like, man, it sure is sad or it sure is disappointing that all these guys act the same. I'm like, well, what else would they be doing? They're just guys. Yeah. And if you make your guys with rocket launchers bright red, that's not historically accurate or tactically sensible. 
I feel like modern shooters are, and like a realistic, I shouldn't say modern, realistic shooters are always going to have that leg down on shooters with fantastic elements. Because you can't differentiate enemies enough. Well, because I mean, if you want to maintain realism, you can't give people fantastic powers or make them tougher, more shielded. I mean, they kind of do on higher difficulties, but generally speaking, dude with AK-47 is going to be the same as dude with AK-47, no matter where they are. And even if you shield a guy more, like, how do you communicate that to the player? Like, this guy's behavior is going to be different I in a way that makes you design interesting encounters. Is Wolfenstein... A realistic shooter. No, because they throw okay. different things at you. I should say it depends on which Wolfenstein you're playing. I'm thinking of the newer ones. Yeah, I was also the, thinking the newer ones. Neither one, so. of, none of Wolfenstein is realistic shooters, because there's always... I thought the in, first, well, like, the first one ends with Jetpack Hitler, but other than that... <laughs> uh, but it's Battle Armor Hitler, but there are, like, wizard Nazis and stuff in that one. Yeah, that's what I want in my shooter. <laughs> so, I enjoyed the game a lot. I played it all the way, I was actually on the Russian com- component of the game. When we were start recording. Yeah, I will say I had fun with it, but it, it was not a particularly remarkable shooter. Like, it's no Halo, I think, is really what it comes down to. Yeah, it was definitely fun. I will agree with that. Like, I'm talking about the spectacle, and I did kind of appreciate it, but I couldn't help but notice. Another thing we kind of skipped over, the guns all feel really, really samey to me. And it doesn't tell you, like, hey, this is the German machine gun. So if you don't know what German gun names are... I just like never switched to a German gun because I was I there knew, are a couple that I know, but I knew what they were and I knew what they looked like because at least to me, the silhouette that pops up on screen tells you what it is. Yeah, I was going to say it, you can kind of determine its function from its form, like the things that look like rifles behave like rifles. So I guess I was never willing to trust my judgment on that. OK, that's fair. MP40 is a submachine gun. I figure the worst thing is you can always pick it up, fire a few rounds, and if you don't like it, you, you can just, always drop it and yeah. pick your old weapon. And back I have had a real problem finding my weapons once I drop them. Huh. huh. I never had that problem because they just kind of fall on the ground exactly where they were. I did have that problem with the rocket launcher thing because I definitely lost one of my guns after doing that. I'm like, I have no idea. It should be right here, but it's not. I have a problem with all first person shooters, but it's especially bad in all Call of Duty games where I have this, like, sensory deprivation effect that goes on, where, like, the first person's perspective makes me want to have more peripheral vision. It makes me want to be able to, like, feel when things are in my way. I get really, really irritated when... Well, you see how often I get trapped on boxes and stuff in first-person shooters. I understand where you're coming. It's never been a problem for me, but I definitely understand where people are coming from when they talk about stuff like that, because I have had that feeling of, like, I should have been able to see dude over here but I can't see him because my vision cuts off over here. And I starts, just realized there was there were visual aids there, and this is an audio podcast. <laughs> it like starts to give me a stress headache after a little bit. And Call of Duty huh. is by far the worst of it. Like Halo, I will get it if I play too much of it. Overwatch, I actually kind of never get it. I think it has to do with the color stuff in Overwatch. It is a lot brighter than most other games. Um, but like Call of Duty, it's really really bad, and it was here too. And I think that's part of what contributed to me not finding it. And while I enjoyed the game, the reason I didn't play more of it is that was starting to get bad. And I needed to put it down for a while. We never did this, obviously. But was there online multiplayer in the version that Steam offered? Yes. There is a multiplayer component. Like, you have to launch it as a separate thing on Steam. But we never did play it. Gotcha. Uh, I was going to say, because like normal, like I always often definitely do for this podcast, I actually bought the game this time because it was easier than pirating it. Not that I ever pirated. Did you get the three pack? I did not get the three pack. Poor choice. eh, It was already like 20 bucks. The three pack is $30 for three of the games that all cost 20 bucks. Eh, We'll probably play Call of Duty 2 eventually is the thing. Yeah, I know. That's why I picked it up. 
That's why I did too. It was also because I looked at them like I could buy all three of these games for twenty bucks a piece when we get to them, or I could just buy the one for thirty. Um, so as I alluded to earlier on in there, so like the first part of it is you play as the Americans, and so you go through a couple of things. Like there is a level where you have to go rescue a British major from a POW camp, and you only have ten minutes to do it. So there's a timer at the top of the screen for the entire level. So you start it, and then you have to go through the level and grab them as fast as possible and get back out. But after you like complete a couple levels as the Americans, then you jump into the British. And unlike in uh, Call of Duty 4 or some of the later ones where it's constantly flipping between the two, they're like their own mini campaigns. I don't know if they restart afterwards because, like I said, I was on the Soviet one of these levels when we started talking about it on the mics. And I haven't finished that one yet. So when you do that, you get a bunch of different guns because the different nationalities have different guns. Although the the British ones also go back to D-Day, so it's not like a chronological thing. You're actually in a glider. And you land, okay. and it has all the bouncing and stuff, which I thought was... <laughs> yeah, that's kind of amusing. Kind of neat. You get to use an 88 to shoot at tanks. Your allies are, like, they're always talking about you, you know, you have to take out the tanks. You have to take out the tanks. And it's like, can't somebody else do that? Yeah, I was going to say, this game also has, maybe not a problem, I'm sure the effect is intentional. Well, it's always it's... the same as the one-man hero Yeah, thing, you are a one-man army. Your character has to be the one to push forward your character has to be, especially in certain areas where it doesn't tell you. I did get stuck on one part in the in the Russian campaign because I thought I was supposed to shoot out the guys in a house and then move across the road because it was a house full of a couple of MG42s and a bunch of other dudes. So I was trying to shoot all the guys and then I realized that it was basically just a constant respawning of dudes. So I had to find my way across the street and go into the house before it would basically let me start actually getting the numbers whittled down. I was going to say, I feel like the game is unclear about, like, when you're going to have infinite dudes and when you're not. It is unclear, yeah. Because sometimes you have to hold and just, like, finish everyone off and then you can move forward. And sometimes you're supposed to move forward before the dudes stop spawning. Yeah, it's not super clear about that. And that is a problem. Yeah, a lot of times it just feels like you are supposed to be... You're supposed to read a developer's minds in what you're supposed to do. And you talked about, hey, that's how it would be realistically. And I think there is some of that in this game. But I think really it's not like World War II. It's like a World War II movie. Yeah. Or I think they're specifically going for a Brand of Brothers thing, which is why I brought that up. This is not nearly to the level of what we will see later out of the guys that made Call of Duty. So it's still not a bad game. Definitely very good. But it is a flawed product. So speaking of flawed products, we have a list on our website, www.lastpodcast.com, listing all the games we've played from least to most flawed. The game with the least flaws we've played thus far is Chrono Trigger. It doesn't outstay its welcome. There is a bit where you can't find where you're supposed to put Frog's sword, and that's a flaw. But other than that, (laughs) very good. Uh, The most flawed game is City Connection, because we don't like it very much. It's So I made James play this. Actually, he wanted to play this game randomly. Which one? City Connection? City Connection. He's like... This this isn't so bad, and then he played it for like five more minutes, and he's like, never mind, this is awful. This is just... Uh, I'm like, hey, guess what game's at the bottom of our list, man? <laughs> it's worse than Echo the Dolphin. Dead center with medium flaws is Kirby's Dreamland. So again, speaking of flaws, a game that's got plenty of them that we put very, very high is Perfect Dark. So on the one huh. hand, this game controls a lot better than Perfect Dark, I think, inarguably. On the other hand, Perfect Dark has a lot of weapons, and while they don't all feel distinct from each other, they at least all have specific purposes. Well, it's also way more interesting a concept, I think. I also think the levels are a little bit better designed. Um, Not to say that Call Mm. of Duties are bad. And not to say that Perfect Darks are good. No. (laughs) 
Uh, I actually think Call of Duty has better level design than Perfect Dark does. I Perfect think Dark, I actually agree with Zach on Perfect that Perfect Dark has some really messy levels. Like, I got actively lost on Perfect Dark several times. That said, it has so many unique weapon ideas. And, like, to be fair, it's a sci-fi setting, so they're allowed to play with that a bit more. I don't know. That's, that's actually kind of a hard one for me, because Perfect Dark is, I think, just a much more interesting game. But maybe that's because I like we live in a era saturated with World War II video game content. I think because Call of Duty handles a bit better, and I didn't have the problem of ever getting lost in Call of Duty, I'd have to put Call of Duty above Perfect Dark because of those handling fa- uh, factors. I think I have to go for Perfect Dark mostly on weapon design. I just think they're a lot more interesting, and that's kind of the core of the game. It gives Perfect Dark, I think, a lot more novelty. And I, like, want to tool around with every weapon. In a way, within Call of Duty, like, I don't have that desire. So, But it's very, very close for me. Yeah, it's also very close for me. And I will say I like Perfect Dark more, but I honestly think Call of Duty is a better game. Um, it just, it is a shooter better than Perfect Dark is a shooter, I think. So the next shooter we have up on the list is Half-Life. And I definitely think Half-Life is better. I think that Half-Life is also a game that engages in spectacle a lot, but I think it's a lot better. It much more rarely comes at the expense of the gameplay. It's got, like we talked about, like different enemy designs, so it can do different things with encounters. It's also got that weird tentacle monster area, which I argue does interfere with gameplay. Uh, I'm not as huge a fan of Half-Life as a lot of people are, but I think... It does a lot more with the genre, I it, think, it than a lot of other games. It does play a little bit more with it, so... So, dead center between Perfect Dark and Half-Life, we have Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. A Ooh. game from a similar era that's also kind of a big Actually? deal in its uh, genre. There are little apples to oranges, but everything in this area of the list is, so... I'd personally rather play Call of Duty than Prince of Persia. So, and that's a hard one, because in my head, Prince of Persia plays a lot more smoothly than it actually does. And I'm having to disambiguate those two. I think I'd have to give it to Prince of Persia, if only because of better writing. It is pretty cheesy writing still, but... I'd give it to Prince of Persia because I think the variety of challenges is a little better. I don't think that um, it's amazing or anything, but like I talked about, most of the people in Call of Duty are gun guys. And I think Prince of Persia, like, it gives you different obstacles, and it's always fair. You're never wondering, oh man, is this infinitely spawning pits that I'm trying to jump over? <laughs> or... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are kind of infinitely spawning pits, kind of. They never go away. Let's see, should I go dead center again, or should I? No, it's more fun if I say, you know, another game we put weirdly high is Zumbinis. <laughs> well, that's a comparison. <laughs> I like Zumbinis quite a bit, but I think Call of Duty is a better game. I think there is more game in Call of Duty. Um, oh, man, that's hard. I think I have to agree with Zach on this one. I think I do too, although putting them together, like, I think <laughs> it's weirdly appropriate. It although, is, yeah. <laughs> right above Zumbinis, we have Banjo Kazooie, which well, I mean, is oddly pertinent, so. Both of them are puzzle games. <laughs> that is true. That One is figuring out the best way to keep all of your Zumbinis alive and move them off the island. The other one is figuring out how best to kill everything on site. I'd say my favorite levels in Celeste are the ones that you have to solve how to get through it as much as you have to actually just get through it. I'd rather play Call of Duty than Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah, I know you would. <laughs> you um, did have to say it, but... <laughs> I wanted it on record. Nothing has surpri- that you've said in your entire life has surprised me less. <laughs> hey, you know what's also going to surprise you a lot? I prefer Banjo-Kazooie. So. <laughs> I, just, I, th- I think Call of Duty handles a bit better. I think it's just... A- Honestly, I think it's more fun because like 
that's kind of my thing. Whereas yeah. these platformers just run around and find stuff is not really something I care yeah, about. Yeah, and I like exploring, and also it's just so colorful and cartoony and happy and all the weird noises. Call of Duty <laughs> is definitely good. Banjo-Kazooie is probably the best 3D collectible platformer. I can't think of one that's actually better than it. And for that reason, I think Call of Duty should go below it, because it's not the best first-person shooter. It's not even like a superlative one. It's just a pretty good one. It surprised me with how good it was, honestly. I definitely enjoyed it, but I think it should probably go below Banjo-Kazooie still. Honestly, because of how good Call of Duty 4 is, I was actually expecting a lot less out of Call of Duty 1. Yeah, me too, actually. I was pleasantly surprised with it. So. I, I was I, I thought I was going to be like, okay, I'm going to play this game for like 20 minutes and then stop playing it because it's going to be crap. But then I looked up later, I'm like, I've been playing this game for three hours. Yep. So Call of Duty goes at number 29 above Zumbinis and below Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> I can't imagine how much higher Call of Duty might Call of Duty Two might end up. I mean, if we ever do Call of Duty Four, that's like a top that's like a top ten shooter. But like, what if they slump before four? Because I don't know. I've never played. Two I can't three. remember how good or bad three is. It could also be a thing that are like like the Mega Man block where we put the first three Call of Duties <laughs> kind of on top of each other. I do know that there's a little fact about Call of Duty and that at the very least in the first four some odd games, there's always a Captain Price because the British like leader dude that is running things when you're working with them is Captain Price, and he looks the same as the dude in Call of Duty Four. Is he the same guy? Or? No, he's not the okay. same guy, but they look the same. And I think it's just one of those tropes that they were doing at the time was there's always a Captain Price in the Call of Duty game. I was say a question we'll have to answer eventually: Is Call of Duty Four better or worse than Halo? Yes, <laughs> both. <laughs> Call of Duty 4 is better than Halo. I said better or worse. And you said yes. (laughs) So what are we going to play next week, Captain Tyler? Uh, Well, I definitely had this pick prepared, and we definitely didn't just take five minutes discussing whether or not this was feasible. But I have been weirdly hankering for Heroes of Mind Magic 3, which, if you have been listening to this show forever, is a weirdly nostalgic game for me. And GOG has, I think, the entire Heroes of Mind Magic collection available, so... Let's start at the beginning with the first heroes of Might and Magic. That sounds interesting. You are an angel. So next time on Last Time, we might do some magic. What did I get? I got a dolphin. It's, yeah, it's a dolphin. That's, uh, <laughs> I just got a Kinder Egg Dolphin. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I've been playing. I don't know if you lost at any point there. But... Oh, I didn't. That's the stinger. Yeah, I, I, I figured, um, I will construct this dolphin. <laughs> well, you tell us what you've been playing, Jeremy. <laughs>